in today's episode. I'm actually seeing a very positive trend. No, this is not the fraud prevention department. This is a sales prevention department. I started hacking and coding when I was still a kid. Oh, it was amazing until 2020. And that's how we, we started with Incognito. The inspiration for Incognito comes from this. The big difference here is that it's a form of identity that is constantly changing. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I wish there was a silver bullet book. I think about it is the most important thing I have to do as, as the company leader is to ask the right questions to the team to help them think through what they're deciding on. The CEO role it changes a lot depending on the stage of the company. I think it's harder to formulate a great question than it is to formulate a great answer. When you're passionate about solving a particular problem, zoom out, think more clearly about things, and, and then you come back with like a, a lot of new ideas and you're able to do much better work. I think we need great solutions in, in space. For all, I see that many of the vendors are, we want to be the first platform you call, the, the first signal you call. Hi everyone. Thank you for joining me today for a new episode of the podcast, A Journey into Fraud Prevention. I'm your host, Ivan Prokofiev. New episode and new exciting guest. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate the episode on any platform such as Apple, Spotify or YouTube. And share the podcast in your network. It means a lot to me and allows me to invite more and more new guests. And most important, enjoy. Let's begin. Поехали! Hi, Andre. How are you doing? Doing well. Yourself? Very well. Thank you for joining me today. It is a pleasure to invite you for one of my future episodes. It's my pleasure. I would ask you, first of all, just introduce yourself uh, for people who listen to our podcast or, and for people who don't know you. Sounds good. Yeah, thanks for having me today. I'm Andre Faraz. I'm the CEO and co-founder at Incognia. I uh, come from a technical background in computer science, but hacking and security has always been my, my main area of interest. And, and yeah, very excited to be working today in the, in the fraud prevention space. I'm going to jump on straight away for the next questions. Fraud prevention. What is fraud prevention for you? Well, for me, I'd say fraud prevention involves like identifying individuals that are trying to abuse a business and denying that action before it happens. Right. So it, it can manifest in different ways, depending on the business, depending on the industry. Uh, but so, for example, like in banking, right, it, it can mean that this individual is, is trying to use someone else's data to create a, a, an account and then get a loan, right? And, and, and go away with that money. Uh, for marketplaces, it could not result in like chargebacks or coupon abuse, right? For a social media platform that could lead to it, an individual like spreading misinformation or scamming other users, right? So o overall, it, it really varies across uh, industries, but in the end of the day, like I, I think the the way to encapsulate this is, is that it involves identifying these bad actors and denying them from, from moving forward. Great description. It's aligned with uh, actually the standards uh, that's uh, worthwhile. It's not only somewhere in the place. Uh, and I'm happy that you actually provide this uh, reply. And small follow-up questions. Um, you know, it's kind of uh, questions everywhere in the industry. It is about fraud prevention, cybersecurity, and trust and safety. All of them mm -hmm. kind of like different, but they are the same. 
Do you believe it's better to work uh, all of them in the same department or split it across different teams and focusing everyone on particular places? Yeah, I'd say at least having the trust and safety departments and, and fraud prevention departments working together as a team uh, is, is quite important because they share a lot of the same tools. They share a lot of the same methodologies, right? And, and I think the, the key point in which like you, you, you can make this connection is at the identity level, right? So if these two things have a common understanding of what an identity means for that platform, I think they can talk the same language and collaborate a lot more. Uh, cybersecurity is a little bit separate because there are other things involved, right? Like the network security and taking care of like a cloud services, et cetera. So there are some more specific things that don't involve the other teams, but there are certainly some, some uh, common areas as well. So I'd say ideally these teams are at least talking to each other and collaborating and sharing knowledge. They don't need to necessarily work in the same departments, in my opinion, but, but certainly trust and safety and fraud prevention should be, um, should be teaming together. Yeah, it's always about collaboration, actually. I, I don't know any other departments uh, in any companies. If they not collaborate, it's going to be a disaster <laughs> for the business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and how long have you been in the fraud prevention industry? Uh, in, the, in the fraud prevention industry in particular for, for about four years. Before this, I, I was actually in the ad tech business, uh, but there was a lot of fraud there, right? Like click fraud um, and, and, and ad fraud. So... So I, I got to learn a little bit about fraud when I was in that industry uh, before getting into the in the fraud space. But I have to say, like, given my interest in like uh, hacking and security, like I'm I'm a lot more excited about working in fraud prevention than than I was uh, about working in ad tech. Yeah, in the last four years, uh, you actually joined this exciting time. So first of all, COVID happens, and this is I don't know. Uh, rocket a lot of companies and uh, ruin a lot of them. <laughs> yes. And uh, after this, it's like some economical crisis happens and uh, war happens as well. So I believe you see a lot of the exciting stuff more than people who join, um, like, I don't know, seven years ago, because before that's one, it was pretty um, slow down business. <laughs> yeah, that's right. What's your opinion? Where is fraud trends going? Do you see any particular um, ways where it's uh, like some angles where it's might going in a couple of years or it's like totally random nowadays? No, I, I'm actually seeing a very positive trend. O overall, I'm, I'm seeing that many, many fraud fighters are becoming more optimistic and more influential in their organizations. Like overall, like at least when I started like four years ago, I, I saw that the the general sense was kind of an acceptance that like fraud is the cost of doing business. Um, I'm just trying to avoid it like from scaling and the, the, like all the solutions, all the tools, they all look kind of the same. So I don't have like a lot to differentiate here, but now like there, there's a new generation of, of, of solutions coming up. The fraud department has also become more influential because a few years ago, it was all about growth at all costs, right? For every digital company. And now uh, everybody's talking about profitability and then like fraud prevention becomes a really important thing if you want to improve your margins and, and your profitability. So companies are starting to 
understand that the fraud prevention department can be seen as a profit center, not only as as a cost. And even like some things are, are changing, like people are understanding that if you also do a good job at fraud prevention, you can improve conversion rates and things like that. I actually used to see some people that are not from the fraud industry, like bullying and, and harassing fraud professionals saying like, oh, no, this is not the fraud prevention department. This is a sales prevention department. And that's that's totally wrong. Right. But I used to hear those things. But yeah, I, I think this is this is changing uh, in, in a positive way. And and overall, the fraud fighters are becoming more optimistic because they're starting to win. They're starting to make a bigger impact and they're starting to become more influential inside their organization. So I'm, I'm very excited about what's happening now. And uh, what's your opinion about what's the hardest things right now in the fraud prevention? Well, I'd say that one of the hardest thing, like if I were in the the shoe, like wearing the shoes of a, a fraud fighter, I'd say is gaining influence over the engineering department to implement new tools so that that you can test like new signals and and, and new platforms. I've seen that 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 has been one of the areas of, of struggle for many fraud fighters because usually they they don't have engineers inside their departments, right? So that they depend on other teams, etc. So but again, like I'm also seeing a positive trend of like some of these departments starting to have their own engineering resources. So they are able to like more quickly test new solutions and implement new things. So, so yeah, uh, I'd say that's that's probably the, the the key challenge I'm I'm seeing people facing. I would say a lot of people agree with you. I'm one of them because uh, usually engineering cost right now it's uh, one of the key one. And specifically, if you want to switch to from one provider or f- from one approach to another one, you need to keep in mind that it's some transition period and you need to pay twice. And uh, at the end, you're still not sure this new solution is going to be better than old one. And all mm-hmm. these uh, questions from engineering team really ruin your idea to start to innovate and process. That's, uh, yeah, that's definitely a challenge for everyone. Yeah. About your journey. Why you actually decide to join the fraud fighters? And uh, what's your motivation? What's the story behind you? Someone just force you maybe? <laughs> uh, no, actually, it's it's a big passion for me. Um, I, I love hacking. I love computer science. Um, so so fraud prevention is, is kind of at the intersection of these areas of interest. I started hacking and coding when I was still a kid, greatly influenced by my father, who's a computer science professor. So I started really early. And back when I was in still in, in college in 2010, I started working on this, this project um, that we were trying to create a, a new type of location technology. When we were working on that, uh, basically the goal was to create kind of a new form of GPS, um, a more precise type of geolocation technology for mobile devices. And when we got to a pretty good result, uh, we were able to optimize it by about 30 times. So the, the technology was like 30 times more accurate than the GPS signal. We were like, I started thinking about like how, how we could use that for authentication and fraud prevention, because in the end of the day, like each individual has a very particular location behavior, right? So, so I thought we could use it as an identity. Um, so that was the, the main sources of inspiration to starting Cognin, get into the fraud prevention space was like, how can we bring like a whole new approach 
two digital identities that could transform the the fraud prevention space. So, so yeah, uh, that's a that's a quick summary. Uh, but again, like started developing this location technology in 2010, so it's been like 13 years uh, in the making. A lot of up, ups and downs. Um, back in the day, it was like the this idea was was just too early, so we decided not to launch it. Uh, we we did something else. So that's that's how I got into the ad tech industry. Decided to use this location technology to help physical retailers optimize their advertising and use that to drive more foot traffic to physical stores. So that first business actually went extremely well. It was like growing super quickly. Uh, we had over like 200 people in the team. It was profitable. It was amazing until 2020. Uh, because when the pandemic started, physical stores had to shut down. Our business was all about driving people to stores. So we saw our revenues dropping by 95% in a month. And that startup that was doing great, uh, actually was like completely destroyed in a matter of weeks. So, uh, we had to adapt, uh, we had to figure out what to do next. And, and basically it, it felt like the right moment to go back to that original idea of like, how can we use location as a form of identity? and build this fraud prevention solution. Um, and we said like, okay, now it looks like the right time to do this. Let's start it. And, and that's how we, we started with Incognia. First of all, I want to say it's really a roller coaster, your story. I, I really like it when you say it's a, doing great, the company going up and the pandemic started and, and it dropped for 95%. It's like a really, really interesting story from perspective of in the identity of the customers or new way of GPS. For some reasons, how I see it, 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 it in my mind, it reminds me one of the series from the Big Bang Theory, when they start building the functionality and at the end, <laughs> the military just like, yeah, just bring it to them and they stop the working on it. <laughs> this is how it works in my mind. I believe it's very complex stuff. It is actually a great time to start to speak a bit about Incognia. What mm -hmm. is Incognia? We already know how you started the idea, about, uh, but what is this company about? Uh, what's your main focus, uh, vision? Can you share a bit of information with us? Sure, absolutely. Um, so Incognia, like the, the inspiration for Incognia comes from this uh, insight that to access any online service, you will always have to do it through a physical device in the physical world, right? So it doesn't matter if we are in the metaverse, uh, it doesn't matter if we are like just uh, in an e-commerce um, app or something like that, we're still present somewhere. We're using a device to access that service, right? So uh, we realized that if we mapped these two things really well, and we went like extremely deep on understanding these two things, we could create a very robust identity solution, right? So essentially what we do is, is a combination of a very strong device fingerprinting solution and this, this concept that we call location fingerprinting, right? So very similar to the idea of device fingerprinting, where you collect like unique attributes of a device and you generate an ID for that. Uh, we do that for locations, right? So we collect the unique attributes of an environment, like for example, in this location I'm at, I'm at there there are unique like wi-fi signals that are only visible from this location uh there are bluetooth signals that are also only available in this place 
but also like cell tower IDs, GPS information. So we collect a bunch of signals and create an identity for each physical location. And then over time, we start building this profile for each user based on the, the places they go, right? So each person has a very different routine. Uh, so we start building this, this form of identity based on, on how you move and, and where you go. And what's interesting about that is that if you compare this to more traditional forms of, of identity, let, let's say our uh, fingerprint or our face, right? Uh, the difference, the big difference here is that it's a form of identity that is constantly changing. It's moving, like as you move, it, it is changing, it's adapting. So it becomes a lot harder for an attacker to try to impersonate you because they'll need to like understand your history, predict your behavior, uh, it becomes much harder to to impersonate you at scale, for example, and, and like uh, impersonate many many other people at the same time. Uh, so we thought that from a security standpoint, it would be a great solution. And we're seeing that, for example, our false negative rate is like one in a hundred million. It's like a hundred times better than Face ID, for example. But it's also good from a user experience standpoint because the user doesn't have to do anything. Like when they start sharing location with the app and we don't need to be like collecting location all the time. It's only when the app is in use, we are able to use that as an authentication factor, as a, as a form of identity and help our customers reduce the use of passwords, OTPs, facial recognition, like any form of authentication. So we improve the user experience increase security, and it's also better from a privacy standpoint because we don't even need to collect any PII data from the user. We don't have their name, their phone number, their email address, anything like that. It's all about the device and its behavior. And, and yeah, that's essentially what, what Incognit does. So, so yeah, we have been working with customers in many industries like financial services, marketplaces, social media companies, gaming, and essentially they're using us uh, for the same reason, which is having a strong identity solution so that they can improve their onboarding process, their login process, and also prevent other types of like fraud, like payment fraud, promotion abuse, refund abuse, et cetera. So if it's to summarize it, you're able to identify, starting from simple things. For example, someone used my mobile phone uh, and right now, when I sit in London, it's uh, start to activate in Australia. It's going to be definitely some uh, red flags to say something went wrong here. And uh, ended with uh, options when, for example, I using my phone for particular shops and uh, online and offline uh, for mm -hmm. the past two months. And today I decide to go somewhere else and buy uh, something abnormal amounts. I'm going to be flagged is abnormal because for, for my identity, it's something new. It's never happened before. And it might be as a flag to say something went wrong with this person. We never saw uh, exactly the same routine from these customers. Am I right to summarize it? Well, not necessarily that that would trigger a, f uh, a flag because we're, we're all always looking at both things, right? The device and the location behavior. So for example, if the device is still the same, and the location behavior is considerably different. Let's say you, you decided to travel uh, to the other side of the world, right? It's still the same device, right? So, so uh, if we identify that, it's going to be normal. Like you, you'll be able to purchase anything from that new location. It's, it's all going to be fine. 
But if you travel and you leave your device at home and you get a new device at the new location, then we're going to flag it as suspicious, right? And usually what our customers do is in case we flag something as suspicious, because that's that's not like normal behavior, then they'll fall back to their, like let's say, more traditional authentication factors. So essentially the way it works is you can think of it as, as a new form of authentication, just like 2FA, but it is completely transparent to the user. Like they don't even know what's going on. Like it's like the user experience is the best possible. And, and it works for like, 99% of the cases, right? Which is like the vast majority of users, they have a very predictable behavior. So as long as we identify that, like we can trust the device and we can trust the location, we're going to provide a smooth user experience. Um, and that's true for like 90% plus of the situations. Great. It's uh, really innovation stuff. And uh, I'm happy to see and hear how you passionate about this business and how you describe it, because I really see how you just not only provide details, you just like describe because you know from the beginning how it works and uh, how amazing it is. It uh, means a lot for everyone. And I believe um, a lot of uh, people who listen to podcasts are going to be enjoy the moments that you actually describe it with this special passion about this pro product. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Have you ever been victim of fraud? Uh, yes, yes. Um, not like any any particular scam or something like that. Just like my credit card was was stored somewhere, right, in in an e-commerce company, and uh, there was a data breach, and someone got access to that uh, credit card information and, and made a purchase. That, that was basically the only uh, instance in which I was a victim of fraud. But some of my relatives were all almost victim of like those bigger scams in banking. Luckily, like I have been talking so much about the subject with, with them that at some point in the conversation, they realized maybe this is a scam uh, and they and they stopped engaging. So yeah, everybody could be a victim. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're like a specialist or, or not. Yeah, it's a common case. And uh, when I ask people uh, what's the common case to lost your credit card details, it's uh, you go in some restaurant, someone take your credit card. It's simple one, pretty yeah. common one. Another one is data bridges. And I, it's a lot of them happens uh, nowadays. Unfortunately, uh, this is you can't be protected from this perspective. It's one of the reasons why I'm using these disposable cards mm -hmm. when I want to buy something one one time on the side, which is I'm not sure. Because if it, something happens wrong, they're never able to charge it anymore because the card uh, gone already. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for, for e-commerce, I only use uh, virtual cards now. And and yeah, unfortunately, in, in, in restaurants and stuff, like I have to give the card. <laughs> they could take a picture. Um, so that, that creates a little bit of, of anxiety on, on my end. One of the, the things I do, maybe it's, it's, it's an overkill, but once in a while, I just like destroy my card and, and ask for another one, um, just because it, it's been too long and some people could, could have gotten that information. I'm quite surprised that, um, in States, uh, where I've recently been in vacation, it's still a lot of the shops using the magnet line. And oh, yeah. uh, I just like, it, it's so curious why it still exists there because 
one of my bank accounts they're not supporting market line and I, I had a lot of troubles to using it um, but I see the positive ways I see it's a lot of Apple pay acceptance it's much mm-hmm. better than seven years ago when this Apple pay was uh, what you want to pay with your phone not here <laughs> not now yeah yeah it was it was interesting like when I moved to the US uh, about four years ago and and I came here with an expectation that I was like um, coming to a place that was kind of in, in the future. And when I got here, and particularly when it comes to payments, right, like credit card payments, but also like bank to bank, like payments, et cetera, um, it, it actually felt like I was, I, I moved to some somewhere, I feel decades in the past because um, coming from Brazil, like we, we have been used to uh, real-time payments for like decades, magnetic stripe, like, credit card payments are not a thing like everything was uh, emv since i don't know like over 10 years ago i think so so yeah i I was a bit in shock when i when i got here but um on the other hand i i saw it as a great opportunity to bring like new new fraud prevention tools to to help modernize the the space yeah, for sure. It just uh, also surprised me because, uh, you know, Visa MasterCard is supposed to be doing great in the States. Yeah. They're, they're not. <laughs> I don't want to blame them, but uh, it's quite surprised me as well. And, um, you know, it's important questions. Uh, since you are CEO of this company, what skills are necessary to become a CEO? Uh, maybe you can give some advice, recommendations, maybe some spe- specific trainings, or maybe it's a silver bullet uh, book that uh, can resolve a lot of the issues. Well, I, I wish there was a silver bullet book, <laughs> but but no, it's 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 hard. Um, like I, I'd say w- one of the biggest challenges is around context switching. Like you're, you're talking about different topics all the time. Uh, you have to have a reasonable reasonably good understanding about multiple things like from finance and legal things all the way to like the engineering and product stuff uh down to like sales and marketing so it's you're you're certainly not the best at anything but you have to understand it fairly well so you can contribute and 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 ask good questions so in the end of the day, the, the way I think about it is uh, the most important thing I have to do as as the company leader is to ask the right questions to the team to help them think through what they're deciding on. Because if I have to make all the decisions, uh, given that I am not the specialist in any of those things, I'm probably not going to make the, the, the best decisions, right? So. Um, What's, what's really important for me and what I try to optimize for is, is asking the right questions uh, to my team members so, so, so I help them think through uh, the different problems they're facing. And the, the CEO role, it changes a lot depending on the stage of the company. So, for example, in the very early days, uh, you're, you're almost like a, a mix of a product manager and salesperson. You're like helping the engineering team figure out how to build a product, but you're also selling it, right? And, and while you're selling, you, you're trying to understand like what's resonating with customers and what's not. So that's usually the, I'd say until you get to like the first 10 people, that's usually the thing that the CEO does the most. Then it, it transitions to 
like starting to to build a team, right? So you become more of a recruiter, and and then once once the team is a little bit bigger, you become more of a manager, and then at some point, uh, you you also start getting more involved in, for example, investor relations and things like that. So. Uh, it, it's a role that changes a lot depending on the stage of the company. So there's no like recipe for being a, a good CEO. But overall, I'd say that uh, the the approach I try to take is focusing on asking the best questions to the team, building a great team um, as well. So recruiting is is very important. And and yeah, I'd, I'd say those those are the the primary things I, I try to focus on. And if we focusing about like hiring someone. Do you have any specific questions that you really like to ask people to understand if they suit for your company or not? Maybe some really unique questions you ask. Kind of, I give you just like a brief example. It's quite popular questions that people ask. Uh, you should answer in 10 seconds since they ask how many people can suit in this bus and they show you a picture of this <laughs> bus. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting you, you, you asked ask that because um, I have... I've, I've heard that uh, for, for many people that I, I have a quite different approach to interviewing because usually I don't ask any questions. Uh, usually my, my interview process is what I call a, a, an in- interview in reverse. I actually, I'm, I'm more interested in hearing which questions that candidate have for me. Why do I like that approach? Because it's a way to understand, like, what are the areas of interest for that person? Like, what are the things that they're excited about or they're worried about and they want to ask the, the, the CEO of the company? And then the other thing is, is also that I think it's harder to formulate a great question than it is to formulate a great answer. Running this process is also a good way to understand how the person thinks. And yeah, I've been taking this approach since the beginning. I think it, it has been working because we like we have a pretty good team. Uh, we've we've built some very innovative and, and, and impressive things. So yeah, I, I really like that approach. Uh, but as I've mentioned, like I, I usually don't ask any questions. I, I just ask them to ask me uh, whatever they want. Quite interesting. Never heard about that one. I'm usually on the way to most of the companies, they leave five minutes and you ask any questions you want. And you're just like, most of the time, so tired at the end of the interview, just, uh, I, I don't have much questions <laughs> for the next yeah. step, for example. That's mm-hmm. great. Uh, quite interesting. And um, what's your motivation like to still stay on this position? Because I believe it's a lot of stress and uh, I believe you your schedule is a... Uh, pretty crazy you probably woke up really early and uh, going to bed really um, in the evening or night probably and pro- sometimes you need to just I know have some calls at nights what motivate you to stay in focus and uh, continue in the way how you operate yeah well I'd say is when you're passionate about solving a particular problem these things don't even feel like work, you know, like uh, when I get on a call with a customer and they're like struggling with like spiking fraud, like chargeback rates are going through the roof uh, or like 
promotion abuse uh, and they don't know how to figure that out like i'm really excited to like ju jump into that call and start brainstorming with them like okay which types of data are you collecting and analyzing um what does like how does your fraud stack look like and then we start like thinking through like okay what are the key types of data that we could leverage to to solve this problem right and and then we we, we move forward with the integration. So I'm very involved in these discussions with customers. I'm really excited about that. I'd say that's the area where I spend most of my time. And, and I'd, I'd say that's the, the main thing that motivates me. So solving these problems are amazing and super fun. Very impressive. And uh, last, last one, I promise about that area. Work-life balance, it's supposed to be exist. How you relax? What's uh, give you, uh, <laughs> I know you're doing some sports or you're reading a lot, or I don't know, you shut down all your network and sitting for 20 minutes and this is what is enough for you. Yeah, it varies. Like each day is, is actually very different, but overall the, the things I try to do I, outside work are I work out quite frequently, almost every day. I enjoy surfing, so I usually go surfing. Like I try to go once a week. Uh, sometimes I'm not able to. Uh, sometimes I go three times a week. Uh, so it, it varies a lot depending on on how things are going. In the winter, I love snowboarding, so I, I try to spend some time also uh, doing that. And, and yeah, and when I'm, when I have some time, I take some time off and I try to like travel and do some extreme things like given i don't have that much time off i try to to get the maximum of of it so going to a like whole new place going to nature and doing some radical sports that's usually how i approach this and besides that i'm, I'm also an avid reader um I'm, i'm reading all the time and like amazon lost me because i'm always like buying books <laughs> almost every week Sometimes I buy books more quickly than I'm, I'm able to read them. But, but yeah, I also enjoy that a lot. And, and from different areas, different topics, it doesn't need to be all about like technology and business. Thank you so much to mention specifically that you take vacations because a lot of people believe that if you're not taking vacations, you succeed much better. You actually, the show is a great example, not only for yourself, but uh, for everyone who's working with you, that it's most important sometimes to take a break and going somewhere to get some extra new ideas. Yeah. Some leaders not show this one. And uh, I really try to encourage everyone to look in after the leaders. And uh, I believe if you show the great examples, uh, people really enjoy continue workers, you will show better performance. Yeah. And that's totally true. Like, um, usually when I come back from vacations, I come back with like a lot of new ideas um, because I'm able to like stop for some time and think. Many times when we're like in a, in a crazy work schedule, we, we don't think we're just operating, we're just executing, but we're not really thinking what we're, about what we're doing. And when you stop for a bit, you're, you're able to zoom out, think more clearly about things. And, and then you come back with like a, a lot of new ideas and you're able to do much better work. Great. I have a couple more questions left. One that's going to be very simple. 
if you target fraud prevention, which area you're going to next? What's your next uh, idea in mind that you start to build maybe already? That's uh, fraud prevention, okay? Maybe in a couple of years, I'm done here. We have an incredible company. It's going to be, uh, I don't know, buy Google one day or Amazon, I don't know, <laughs> whatever you prefer to buy. Uh, so any particular new ideas you want to focus? Well, that's, that's an interesting question because um, for me, this I, I think of this as, as a lifetime thing, you know, um, I, I don't have any aspirations to like start building a new company, start building a new product. Um, I, I really believe that this one is the one for me. Um, and, and the reason why I think about that is um, I believe identity is is already one of the biggest challenges in this time we live in. Uh, digital identity in particular, I think it's going to become even more challenging with these new things like, for example, deep fakes and, and, and all of that. Like this is making it so much easier for fraudsters to operate. Uh, so I think it's a very important problem. I think it's a problem that's not going away. And I think it is a space that needs very good technology. And when, when I started working on it, uh, that was one of one of my perceptions was that many of the solutions looked like unfinished jobs, you know? Um, and, and when I say that is because like many of these leaders in the space, uh, they were acquired by much bigger companies, but these companies that acquired these companies, they, they were not pure fraud prevention players. They were either like a payment payments company or a credit bureau. So, Fraud prevention was part of their business, but it was not the core of their business. So um, after those acquisitions happened, like the innovation stopped. And, and that's why like, I look at these products and, and, and it, I look at it as, as kind of like unfinished things uh, that do a decent job, but don't do a great job, you know? And I think we need great solutions in, in the space. Uh, that's what, what we're trying to, to do with Incognia. And I think of it as a lifetime thing because fraud prevention is a very dynamic space, is a cat and mouse game. So we need to be like upgrading and adapting the solution all the time to like new attacks and, and all of that. So I'm pretty comfortable with the idea of spending the next few decades uh, in this same thing. Happy to hear this one. And I believe more, uh, the people who work with you are much uh, more happy to hear this one because <laughs> you're not going to run away. <laughs> End of the week, sorry, I just parked my stuff and I left from here. <laughs> sorry, guys. But about the companies, uh, yeah, once you mention this one, I have a couple of companies in my mind that's uh, unfinished uh, because they stop mm -hmm. uh, innovating. Uh, I'm not going to call them, but uh, I have a couple in mind. Yeah, yep. and uh, I have a uh, last one. It's um, actually quite, let's call it quite tricky, but it's probably the hard to answer. So digital identity and uh, fraud prevention companies, uh, right now it's a lot of them on the market. Uh, it's mm -hmm. uh, become a kind of, uh, how's it, how's it going, uh, uh, red ocean, if I'm not mistaken, this phrase. Yep. What you can say people who considering uh, the new approaches, uh, why they need to uh, consider incognia as a, one of the top one to choose it rather than looking at another solution in the markets? Yeah, well, 
I think we we're taking a, a, a fairly different approach when we, we we look at the other players in the market. Like overall, I see that many of the vendors are trying to be everything for everybody. You know, um, they're they're trying to like incorporate all the signals. Many of them are claiming like, oh, we collect thousands of signals from the user and the device, et cetera. And, and then we have this amazing machine learning model, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But many times, like when you're not focused on being really good at a small set of things, uh, you end up not doing a great job at any, right? Like, so you, you're, you're solving a lot of different problems, but you're not the best at anything. And I understand where this comes from because every time I talk to like venture capitalists, for example, uh, they're they're asking me like, okay, when is Incognia going to move from being a point solution? That's that's how they frame it, right? A point solution to becoming a platform, and everybody wants you to become a platform, right? My answer is. I'm actually not interested in becoming this platform, at, at least not for now. I'm actually more interested in building the best digital identity solution, uh, not trying to solve every single fraud prevention problem, um, but being the best at identity, being the best at understanding like, okay, is, is this user uh, who they say they are? If we're able to answer that question, we can solve the most important fraud issues, but we're not going to solve everything, right? There are other things involved. So I think we, one thing that like separates us from uh, many of the other vendors is that we have this very focused approach. We go very deep. We don't try to copy the other approaches. Like for example, we don't do anything with biometrics. We believe that there are already companies that are doing a decent job with biometrics. So we're not going to try to copy that and, and, and be, compete in that space. Uh, we also don't do anything with behavioral biometrics. We don't believe that, like, there are, there are many companies already doing that, and we don't believe that we should try to replicate that, incorporate that signal into our platform. Uh, we want to be the best at device and location. We believe that device plus location is the most important signal there is, and we want to be the best at that. And we believe that if we go super deep, super focused. No one will be able to compete with us because we are going to be so deep into this specific thing that no one will be able to replicate what we have. By believing that this is the most important signal, what we want to be is not that platform that solves for everything and does the whole like orchestration stuff, but really being the first call. We want to be the first platform you call, the, the first signal you call before anything else, before asking for a password, before asking for OTP, before asking for biometrics, because we don't generate any friction. Our accuracy is the greatest in the industry. Like our false negatives, negative rate is one in a hundred million. So if you call us first, and that could mean that we cover, let's say 90% of the cases of 95% of cases, we are fine with that. We don't want to get to hundred percent. We don't want to incorporate all these other signals that will make us lose focus. So, so that's that's our approach, um, and yeah, it's it's quite different in, in my opinion. It's quite too, too good to hear that you have a clear vision 
I believe it's most important stuff. And uh, since you have the clear vision, you know where you're going. If you, as you mentioned, focusing on uh, achieve everything and try to be a solution that uh, tackle 5% of each and uh, at the end uh, cover 100%, it's going to be very complex to continue in that way rather than you have focused on one particular thing and just like uh, try to um, focus all resources and only on that one and if it's going to be pay off definitely uh, yep. for you and for your company. Yeah, and uh, thank you so much for joining me today. I don't have any other questions. I really enjoy your journey, uh, specifically from uh, computer scientist to become a CEO of the company and uh, glad to hear everything about the Cognia and uh, your vision of the company. I believe computers are going to be like to hear everything <laughs> from this podcast. I hope so. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, it was a pleasure to to speak with you on on this. And and yeah, um, always always excited to uh, chat with with fellow fraud fighters. And yeah, discuss how how we can use technology to prevent the bad guys from succeeding. Amazing. So I'm gonna say my favorite words that I'm using on each of my podcast, which is cut. <laughs>